It is very important to not try to control your spouse, especially when they have like a different money mindset and money upbringing than you do, because, you know, no one wants to be controlled. Like no, no one likes to be controlled. And so I wouldn't want my con- husband to control me. And so I have to kind of remember that and to not try to control him as well. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're going to do two things. First, I'm going to share five tips that will save you thousands of dollars when buying your next home. And second, we're back with our Mortgage Freedom Series This week, we're featuring Jessie Furin, a 30-something mother of three who paid off her mortgage earlier this year with a household income of less than $50,000. That is some serious business. (laughs) All right, let's jump into today's show. It's home buying season, my friends. If you are looking for a house right now, this could very well be one of the most difficult times to buy. The amount of available homes is super low and prices, I don't know if you've been watching, they've been skyrocketing over the past couple of years and it continues into this year as well. And I know where I live in Metro Detroit, it seems more difficult to buy than ever just to get a decent home at a decent price without having to go way over the the listing price. It's just nuts. And from what I've read and heard and, you know, talked to other people in different parts of the country, it sounds like this is just a similar story wherever you go. So if you're going to take the plunge this year and buy a home, I wanted to talk to you guys about doing this the smart way. And just to have you realize that this commitment may very well be the largest purchase you'll ever make in your entire life. So you want to you wanna make sure you're setting yourself up to have a good life and not be house rich and cash poor or life poor for that matter. Having a nice home in a beautiful neighborhood can make you feel really great, can make you feel incredible, but it can also be like you put a hundred pound weight on your back if the money situation is tight. And I have felt that, my friends, and I do not want it for you. So here's some suggestions that Nicole and I sticked with when we bought our house in 2013. And it helped us to find our forever home, which we love, and just generally did not feel strapped for cash each month. And by the way, As I mentioned previously, I did a very poor purchase in 2004 with my first home and all of the pieces of advice I'm going to share with you, these these five pieces of advice, I pretty much didn't do any of those when (laughs) I didn't adhere to any of those when I bought my first home. So and and man, it was it was a really stressful home to have. And I'm I just don't want that for you guys. So you guys learn from my mistakes and enjoy your new home stress free. All right, here we go. Number one, have an emergency fund. Before buying a house, I completely recommend setting up an emergency fund. This is a separate savings account outside of your checking account that you guys can use for unexpected occurrences that just happen in life, man. Even with a really great inspection, your new home is bound to need some upkeep. 
that, you know, you just weren't planning for. I can give you a little bit of flavor for what we went through. We bought our house in 2013 and it was quote unquote fully updated, right? This is all done. Everything you need. And in the first year of owning that home, we had to replace our roof, repair our AC unit, replace a cracked bathroom sink that our three-year-old dropped. It's essentially a heavy glass into it and it cracked it. But anyway, stuff happens. Life happens, right? And these whoops moments weren't actually that big of a deal for us because we had a decent emergency savings in place. So I'd recommend around three months of living expenses set aside, completely set aside separately into a different savings account. This could cover any of those big mishaps we just talked about or just the multiple little issues that happen from owning a home or maybe even just job loss for a couple months, three months. That would really help you and your family to feel secure. And if you don't have an emergency fund yet, start factoring it into your budget today. Start building it up. And even when it's fully funded, Nicole and I still put extra money in it each month just because it gets depleted. <laughs> so that's number one. And I'll tell you what how I messed this up uh, in 2004 when I bought my house. I didn't have an emergency fund. So when all these little things started to happen to my house, guess what I did? I borrowed on the home equity of my home uh, through the home equity line of credit. And man, did I rack that thing up. And I think it was a, the, to the tune of 5 or 6% each time I would borrow from it. And I didn't end up paying it back completely until five or six years later. And it just accumulated. So don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do what Andy did in 20, 2004. <laughs> All right. So let's go into number two here. Number two, avoid private mortgage insurance, also known as PMI. So a larger down payment on your home might seem like a lot, a lot of money right now for you, but the investment is totally worth it in the long run. If you put at least 20% down on your home, you're going to avoid private mortgage insurance with most lenders. PMI is an insurance for the mortgage company that you pay on their behalf. It's insuring them in case you default on your mortgage. You remember the housing crisis back in 08, 09? Yeah. They want to protect themselves from people defaulting. So PMI can add another 1% on your mortgage. So it should totally be avoided at all costs. So for example, if you get a $100,000 mortgage, we'll use that for easy math, you'd be paying an additional $1,000 per year or around 80 bucks per month of just completely unnecessary costs. So go for the 20% down and you will be golden. Again, Andy bought his house in 2004. I didn't do that. I paid PMI like crazy. It was a, it was a really bad idea. And man, I was cash strapped. I was a cash strapped 20-something. It was, it was uncomfortable. So again, don't do what Andy did. <laughs> Number three, keep your mortgage payments to less than 25% of your income. Now, this is tough for a lot of people, because, especially in this market, because these are high-priced homes and you want to have the best home for your family. But having manageable monthly payments is crucial when you buy a new home. And whichever type of mortgage you choose, I'm personally a fan of the 15-year mortgage, by the way. If you choose the 15-year, if you choose the 30-year, 
calculate how much of a down payment you'll need to keep your payments to less than 25% of your monthly income. At this percentage, you'll still be able to pay your bills, save for retirement, go on family trips, or just, you know, enjoy life. If your mortgage takes up like 50% of your income, there's not much money left for just life's expenses. You'll have a great house, but you won't be able to have anybody over because you can't afford to furnish the place or, or entertain anybody. Getting a low rate also helps a lot as well with the process. Uh, Nicole and I went with Lending Tree, and we were able to compare rates from a group of lenders and get a really low rate for what we had back in 2013. So that helped us out a lot. And when you're talking about the largest payment of your life, you're going to want to make sure that payment is as low as possible. So again, I'll tell you what I did in 2004. (laughs) My home and all of the costs that went into it with regard to my mortgage payment and the PMI it pretty much consisted of about 70% of my income. It was a really bad choice. But you know what I did? I listened to the mortgage lender about how much home I could afford as opposed to, you know, listening to podcasts that are trying to save you. <laughs> so if you think 25% is too aggressive, please just don't do 70% <laughs> or 50% because you're going to really feel cash strapped. All right, number four... Consider the cost to update and furnish your new home. Make sure to budget the amount of money you're going to need to buy furniture, update paint, and decorate. These are important things, not only for having a nice home, but uh, I'll tell you, my wife really enjoys that type of stuff, and I really didn't factor that in properly (laughs) when we got together. And, And this stuff, depending on your taste can add up quite fast or just generally your family size or your situation, how much furniture you need, things like that. So for example, if you're moving from a 900 square foot apartment to a 2000 square foot home, your budget's going to be a lot higher than someone who is downsizing. You know, you got to factor in the amount of beds, the couches, the tables, the chairs, things like that. There's a, (laughs) and depending on how big your home is, there's a whole lot of wall space too. So unless you want it to be completely barren, think about pictures, art, mirrors, all this stuff adds up. You don't need to go nuts though. I mean, if you don't have a lot to spend, you don't need to buy new stuff. You can go on Craigslist, you can go on Facebook Marketplace and find some excellent, gently used things that make your house feel like a home. And um, yeah, that's something I learned during our last home purchase in 2013 is that I didn't really allow enough for all the stuff that we needed to fill our bigger home. We went from a 1,100 square foot house to a, I think it's 2,700 square feet. So we had a lot more space to fill and it cost some money. All right, number five have patience and buy when the time is right. Again, this could be the largest purchase you'll ever make. So take your time and don't rush. Go with your gut. If the price doesn't feel right or you're not super excited about the home, then don't force yourself to buy something you may regret later. To curb some of your anxiety, make sure you get an appraisal. Prices are crazy high right now and sellers are taking advantage. Make sure you get an independent expert that confirms the pricing that's in line with the neighborhood. 
Also, make sure you get an inspection before committing to your final purchase. I've heard some people who are not getting inspections because they want to just get that house real quick and they are paying for it, man. That is no, no, don't do that. A smart licensed real estate agent is going to help guide you through the process and make important decisions like this. Do your research, find a few agents and interview them and make sure that they're the right partner for you. This big purchase requires great partners. And that agent should also help you not make just poor purchases, like buying a home that's overbuilt for the neighborhood. You know what I'm talking about. You've been in those neighborhoods where you see that gigantic, like three-story castle amongst the a sea of one-story branches. <laughs> Stay away from that one. You're overbuying for the neighborhood. And you you might not want to hear it, but renting is not the end of the world. Depending on your financial situation, if you don't have enough for that down payment to avoid PMI, or you're getting yourself into a situation like I did back in 2004, where the home is going to essentially take up 70% of your income and not have the ability to enjoy life, that is not the situation you want to be in. You want to be in a good neighborhood, yes, but you know, renting a home until you have enough cash saved up it really could be your best option. So those are my five tips, everybody. I'll just run through them really quickly so you've got them at the top of your brain. Number one, have an emergency fund. Number two, avoid private mortgage insurance. Number three, keep your mortgage payments to less than 25% of your income. Number four, Consider the cost to update and furnish your new home. And then the last one, number five, have patience and buy when the time is right. Well, I hope that helps everybody. If you are out there hunting for your new home, try to use these to guide you and uh, remember all the mistakes that I made (laughs) in 2004. I hope you land your dream home and it's everything you've always wanted because there's no place like home. We'll be back to the show after a word from our sponsors. Thanks for considering our sponsors, everybody. Now let's jump back into the show. How would you like to own your home outright? What would it feel like to never make a mortgage payment ever again? On our Mortgage Freedom Series today, we're going to interview someone who eliminated their mortgage on a single middle-class income in less than eight years. Jesse Firon is our guest today. Jesse is a wife, mother to three little ones, and during their nap time, she's a financial coach. Her inspiring story and advice has been featured in the Huffington Post, NerdWallet, and BuzzFeed. When Jesse's not crushing her debt and motivating others to do the same, she's singing Garth Brooks songs and spending time with her family. Welcome to the show, Jesse. Well, thank you, Andy. Thank you. Oh my goodness, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. I'm excited to have you so you can inspire others to do this wild feat that you and your family did. (laughs) So when did you buy this now paid for house? 
It was in May of 2011, and it was um, quite the foreclosure. There was rats living in my house. Um, it was. <laughs> I literally sat at the table signing the document, looking next to my husband, going, "What did you just convince me to do? Like, you expect me to move into this house that is destroyed and has rats living in it? Okay, like whatever." <laughs> well, so 2011, rats in, and I'm assuming you got a good yes. deal. So, give us a little yes. bit of information on the financials. <laughs> what, what did you guys buy? How much was it? And then I'm assuming you did some upgrades to get rid of the rats. We, we did. We did. Thank God. Yes. <laughs> um, so, um, like I said, it was a foreclosure. And, um, so even though the general, um, economic recession was over, our area was still kind of feeling the negative effects of that. So we bought our house right at $89,000. Um, that's what our mortgage starting off was, um, back in 2011. And I'm lucky enough to be married to, um, a master craftsman. He's a professional remodeler. So, um, I didn't have to pay for a lot of the labor that went into fixing my house, including chasing off the rats. Cause I wasn't doing that. <laughs> That's incredible. So what kind of upgrades did you guys do when you got the place? Um, well, we had to do all of like the code upgrades for one, cause our home was built in 1979. So there was a lot of like the code issues that had to be taken care of. Um, so we, um, we did all of that. We had to rip up all the flooring cause all the flooring was installed incorrectly. The woman that lived here before part of the reason that there was rats in the house is cause apparently she was not the cleanest person ever. So, um, so there was a lot of things that had to be replaced, especially, um, the carpet that was like in our basement. It was, there was mold everywhere she had cats. And if you've ever had cats, you know what that smells like. And, um, so we had to fix all that. And, um, so quite a bit of stuff went into, um, fixing our house, um, doing the upgrades of like granite countertops and the stacked stone fireplace behind me. That's like, that's the only thing that we paid labor on. Cause my husband's not a basin, so I can't do that. But those little things like that we did. Um, and then throughout the ownership of our home, we've had to make the upgrades of upgrading the windows because we had the single pane windows from 1979, which were terrible. And we had to replace the roof because the roof was like 30 years old and leaking. <laughs> wow. So you guys did a lot. You, you bought the house for a good yes. deal, but you had to do a lot to, to get it livable. Yes. And if yes. you guys are on the YouTube right now, you can see their, their, their nice home in the background right now. It's a beautiful yes. place. <laughs> uh, and it, it, uh, also awesome that you you married up and you got somebody that can kind of fix all this stuff. I did the same yes. thing. I am not handy at all. My wife is an incredible <laughs> fixer. She, she, she goes around the house fixing everything. I love it. Um, so we both married up. That's awesome. So, yes, so, it's you a guys, blessing. <laughs> so you guys got this place, you fixed it up. When did you decide, I don't want to have a mortgage anymore? What, 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 at what point did you say, we're going to pay this thing off? Um, well, it kind of happened after we paid off all of our consumer debt, which was, um, right in 2015, right before we, um, right before I gave birth to our third child, we had paid off just over $55,000 of consumer debt. And so we were starting to build up our savings account, everything like that. And I kind of just kept looking at our mortgage and I was like, you know, we paid off more debt than this in two years. Like, why are we like, why not just pay off the mortgage? Like, this is kind of not making sense because we're late to the retirement game. Like we broke the cardinal rule of finance and took out my 401k like years ago. You know, you're not supposed to do that, right? <laughs> we totally did that. And um, so, you know, we're paying for it now because we have to aggressively save for retirement. But when we start looking at our net worth income, we, or net worth income, or net worth um, calculation, we realized that if we paid off our mortgage, we could increase our net worth so much faster than just investing it. And then we could turn around and take our mortgage payment and invest it aggressively because we do live off of only my husband's income. And so we don't have a whole bunch of disposable income to invest with. Wow. Um, at the so you guys, you guys paid off, let's go back to the 55,000. So you guys okay. paid off $55,000 on a single income. How did you guys do that? 
Um, well, <laughs> I will tell you, um, my husband will tell you that it was through a lot of meatless meals, which my poor husband cannot stand. Like he can't stand that. He's like, no, where's my meat? Like I need meat. Like that's what I need. Um, so it was through a lot of that, a lot of just kind of bootstrapping and selling off things that we didn't need anymore. Um, picking up side jobs. Like I actually would go walk dogs in a local neighborhood and pick up dog poop for money, but it was a, what I did so we could help pay off debt. And so, um, yeah, we just kind of aggressively did that from there. And it included me giving up my really nice car that I had so we could pay cash for a more well-loved used car. (laughs) That's great. So you guys made some sacrifices. You worked hard together. So you said your husband didn't like the meatless dinners. How how were some of the conversations that went uh, initially when you said, hey, I want to pay off this debt? Or was it his idea? How did that all go? Well, it kind of happened because, um, well, we had a, I, we started 2012 pregnant and ended it pregnant. And that's what happens when you have Irish twins. And, um, so because of that, you know, I was kind of going through our budget. I was pregnant with our second child trying to figure out, okay, what's money going to look like, you know, once baby number two comes. And I realized that it was just getting tighter and tighter and tighter. And my husband, he kind of, he didn't grow up below the poverty line, but he grew up in that like teetering position, you know? So for him, it's always been a big deal to not struggle And I kind of realized that we were going to potentially be in that position. And so I brought it to his attention. And so after that realization, we were both like, all right, we're done with it. Like we cut up the credit cards right then and there. And we just made this plan to start aggressively attacking our debt until it was finally all gone, which was a very freeing and amazing feeling. (laughs) That's great. That's great. So, um, we're, did you guys get together at certain points of the week or the month to look at the numbers? How did you do that? Did you take a leadership position? How did that work? I took the leadership position because my husband, uh, he's <laughs> very uh, budget adverse. He's like, you know, I, I want to manage money, but you do the nitty gritty details. You got the accounting degree. You do that. So um, I, I would actually create the budget. Still to this day, I create the budget and then I just kind of look over it with him, like ask him, okay, am I forgetting something that's, you know, upcoming, you know, what needs to be included, that type of thing. And, you know, then he just has veto power. He gets to say, you know, well, we got to put this in here. No, I don't feel like we need to add, you know, $50 extra this week to Christmas fund. I don't think we need to do that. You know, we need to put it here. And then we just kind of have those conversations and talk it through until we finally have a budget that we're both satisfied with. How important is that to give that opportunity to your spouse to say, I want your input and, and, and give us, I guess, give us an example of how maybe that hadn't gone well in the past for you guys. <laughs> okay. Yes. I, I've got quite a few of those actually. Um, so my husband is the spender and I'm the saver. And, um, so an example of how that didn't go so well is that when we were first trying to become debt free, my husband, he would always go into the gas station, like before going to work and pick up a Red Bull. And it's like a $2 and I think 63 cent can of Red Bull. And so, but to my husband, it's just like, it's less than $3. It's not a big deal. Right. But he was doing that every single day, every single day, all month long. And it's like, Hey, this is adding up, honey. And I would, I would get mad at him and I'd yell at him and I'd scream at him. And then he would get really upset and defensive because he felt like I was controlling him. He felt like, well, you know, like what, what we don't have enough money for me to spend $3. Like he didn't like that feeling. Cause again, he didn't want to struggle. He didn't want to feel that way. And so $3 doesn't seem like a big amount of money. And so like, I finally had to learn to like kind of settle myself down and talk to him, um, in more of a, like, you know, one-on-one position instead of like taking like a motherly role screaming and yelling at him, like as if he was my child and not actually my husband. So, but yeah, that's how it didn't go so well, but it is very important to not try to control your spouse, especially when they have like a different money mindset and money upbringing than you do, because you know, no one wants to be controlled. Like 
no, no one likes to be controlled. And so I wouldn't want my con- husband to control me. And so I have to kind of remember that and to not try to control him as well. It's such an important insight, especially thinking about how we were raised and, um, you know, our background with money, because that has a lot to do with our motivations about, yeah. you know, not maybe it's just $2 and 16 cents or whatever it was, but to that, to him, that's like, Hey, this is my treat. This is something that I want to yeah. be able to do. And, and please don't just take that away from me, you know. So, I'm, so it's a, it's a very good, um, very good conversation. I think it's really important for people to hear. So, so those are the, some of the things you guys worked on together to get rid of that debt, and then you got into this mindset of, hey, we we did that. We can do the mortgage too. So, talk about what strategies you guys used to pay down the mortgage. And if you're okay with it, give us an idea of your general income range around that time, so people know. Wow, you know, uh, ninety thousand dollars or the original mortgage payment. How, how long that would take for somebody to do? Well, when we first like, so when we first got our mortgage, um, it was actually the mortgage payment was less than the rent that we had been paying before we bought this house. So at first, we just paid like what was our rent payment towards the mortgage and applied the extra to principal and stuff. And then of course, started having kids, and our income was a little tighter and tighter and tighter. So we were only able to pay the minimum on our mortgage. And then um, so once we started getting aggressive about paying it off, which happened right at about the beginning of 2017, is when we got aggressive on trying to pay it off as fast as possible. We just on. Honestly, we applied every strategy that we used when it came to getting out of debt and building up our emergency fund. We just applied every additional penny that we had, like we, you know, did the bare bones budget, you know, where everything was like kind of bootstrapped and took all the money we could from our budget, threw it towards the mortgage, side jobs, side hustles, selling off stuff that we don't need. I'm always surprised at like what people will buy something for. (laughs) And so we did all of that until we finally made it happen in January. I was so excited. <laughs> wow. So really, I mean, you did buy it in uh, 2011 and you paid it off in 19. Uh, yes. So it was eight years in time, but really you say your focus time was really over the past couple of years. Yes. So yes. you guys went kind of nuts. So like in 2017, what was your general uh, principal balance at that time? Did you guys have like 30,000 left over or 50,000? Where, where were you? We had um, just over 27,000. Okay. On wow. The mortgage. Okay. So twenty seven thousand in two years, crushed, gone, no yeah. mortgage. Love it. <laughs> That's it's, so cool. it's very, it's very nice. It's <laughs> very cool. And again, you were. I mean, I know you have this uh, per, uh, personal finance coaching thing you're doing on the side, but it really was on one income during that time period. It was. It was. Okay. It was. You know, I mean, my husband is mostly his income. My income is very sporadic, and we actually only I only pull five hundred dollars a month from my business to pay for my daughter's preschool. So wow. everything else was pretty much just side hustle money that That's came from selling off stuff. (laughs) That's incredible. And what's the general income range you guys are working on with that single income? It's just a little bit over $3,000 a month. Oh, wow. Okay, great. Wow. I mean, that's aggressive. Very cool. That's that's great. Congratulations. So when you paid that off, I I, I follow you on Instagram. I'm a big fan of what you're doing there. How did you guys celebrate your big day when you paid this thing off? We did a dance party with the whole family. Oh, I love it. <laughs> That's like our thing. Like we just did a big dance party. My husband and I had champagne. I bought like, you know, the little sparkling grape juice for the kids. And so I let them have like the big fancy like wine glasses because I didn't want them breaking my really nice like crystal like champagne flutes. So I was like, here, have these like wine glasses that somebody gave me that I don't want to wear. <laughs> have those. So, but they thought it was really fun. And so that's kind of how we celebrated paying off the house. We didn't do anything too crazy, but we are being able to take three family vacations this year because we paid off the mortgage. And that is like awesome because we, we only started taking family vacations in 2016, which is the year after we became consumer debt free. So being able it. to take three is pretty awesome. That's cool. So you guys are, are taking advantage of this big victory and celebrating as a family. Where are you going? Are you doing something exciting? 
Yeah. So we're going to Tybee Island, Georgia, which is our favorite place ever. Um, and then my husband and I will be married for 10 years in July. So we are taking our kids up to the mountains in Helen, Georgia, where we got married. Um, so it's a real cute, like little German town up there that we got married in. So we're going to take them there. And then we're going, um, we're going to my family's reunion, um, up in Kentucky. So I'm very excited. That. <laughs> that is so cool. That is so cool. So, so you, you guys are going on a little bit more vacations, having a little bit more fun. You're going to have a little bit more money now without paying a mortgage. What are you guys going to do with this extra money besides enjoying yourselves with some vacations? We are going to be um, investing as much as possible and, of course, saving money because we do eventually plan to buy another piece of property with the intention, of course, of paying that mortgage off as fast as possible. So um, that's kind of all of our our big goals. Cause eventually my husband wants to build, um, his own house from the ground up. That's a big goal of his, but that's going to require some working up towards, but that that's the ultimate so goal. Cool. <laughs> so talk to me about that, that, um, other piece of property. Is that going to be something that you're going to rent out or is that going to be another home for you guys? How, how are you going to do that? We haven't a hundred percent decided, um, but it would more than likely be another home for us. And then we would potentially rent this house out or sell this one. We haven't, again, we haven't really decided. We both were kind of like, well, maybe we'd try it for a year being a landlord and see if we like it. And then if we don't like it, then we just sell the house because we don't have a mortgage on it. So <laughs> whatever we sell it for, we get, you know, into our pocket. So that's great. That's, so Nicole and I are thinking of getting another house too. We're thinking of renting that out. We got kind of crazy with this debt freedom stuff too. And we're, we're trying to save up all of our money to buy it in cash, but man, it is it taking a long time. So talk, talk to us about, um, you, your strategy, you said you're thinking of uh, getting a mortgage and then paying it off again because it worked It worked once. Let's do it again, right? Yes. So what, yes. Um, what kind of mortgage would you get? How much would you put down? Things like that. We would plan to put 20% down. So, and our goal would be, again, because I'm married to a remodeler, we would try to find the biggest piece of junk foreclosure that we could to buy it for as cheap as possible. So we could have hopefully a very cheap mortgage again to be able to pay off as fast as possible. And then again, because we don't have a mortgage on this house, we'd only have one mortgage payment and we'd be able to sink money into flipping the other house. That is incredible. So if you could look back to 2011 when you bought that house, and give yourself one piece of advice now that you've gone through this process together, this long road of being able to pay off $55,000 in debt, your entire mortgage. What piece of advice would you give yourself back then to motivate yourself to do what you've done? One would be to just trust my husband because um, I got some trust issues apparently. So to trust him, to trust that he knows what he's doing and to trust that, you know, he will be on board with this and that I don't have to control him. Cause again, that was always a big deal for me. I tend to try to control people. Don't know why. Um, but to trust him and to trust the process and you know, to that you can do it because there was many times that I kept thinking like, this will never happen. Like we'll never get there. Um, but instead of allowing fear to consume me to just let the fear kind of drive me towards achieving that goal. That's incredible. And and now that you're mortgage free and you've done a lot of these exciting things in your life, are you doing anything with your children so that they are picking up some of these tips or or understanding personal finance at all or is it more through just uh, modeling? We're we're doing it more through modeling than um, than actually because they don't even get um, commissions or allowance. Um, we tried that and it didn't really work so well. And I think it's just because like my kids are you know they're still really young, 
So I don't think they quite understood it. So we're trying to hold off and wait a little bit longer. But we're hoping that by modeling to them that, you know, I shop with cash. So they see physical cash leaving my hand. You know, they understand that that's how money works. And they understand that things cost money. And they understand that mommy and daddy don't have a mortgage. And that, you know, we made it a big deal. And that mommy and daddy don't have car payments. We don't have these things. And, um, and that we've chosen this lifestyle. That this isn't like, this isn't a burden. And this isn't like unjoyful. It's actually enjoyful. And so we're hoping that by sharing that joy with them that, you know, eventually when they're older, they'll hopefully partake in this uh, debt-free lifestyle too. That's incredible. Well, this is a great message. So there's a young parent listening right now who's saying, I want to be mortgage-free. That sounds awesome. I want to inspire my kids. I want to have that for our family. What advice would you give them to get started right after they finish listening to this? to make sure that you see like your mortgage amount as debt. Cause I know that for a long time for us, you know, I mean, I moved out of my parents' house at 18 years old. So I've been paying, you know, somebody, whether it's a landlord or a bank, you know, a payment every month to live in a dwelling. And so for so long, I just was doing that habit of paying a payment every single month because I had to. But then the moment that I sat down and I saw our actual mortgage and I saw how much it was, like I said, you know, it was like, I realized, wait, we, we paid off more than that in two years. Like what, like what, why are we just making this small little minimum payment every month when we can actually pay it off more aggressively, but just look at your mortgage payment and see it as a debt, see it as the full number that it is and the weight that it actually carries. And then devise your plan of how are you going to attack it? You know, what extra money can you pull from your budget? You know, what can you do any side? hustles. Can you sell some stuff, you know, go watch tidy up on Netflix and you'll be just getting rid of everything that you practically own. (laughs) I love it. This is awesome. Jesse, thank you so much for taking your time with us today. And where can people connect with you and learn more about you? They can find me um, on Instagram at Jesse Fearon and online at jessefearon.com. Excellent. If you guys want some great advice and some transparency on what's going on in the Fearon household, uh, definitely check her out on Instagram. I will put that Uh, information in the show notes. Uh, Jesse, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, Andy. That is how you get it done. The Fearin family is completely debt-free and ready to build true wealth. And they've done this on a sub $50,000 per year income. That is incredible. Very cool. Here are my top three takeaways from my conversation with Jesse Furin. Number one, treat your mortgage just like another debt. This was so inspiring when she said this. And it really makes a lot of sense. If you paid off $50,000 of student loans or you know credit card bills or things like that just combined... Just treat this mortgage like it's another massive debt that you got to get rid of. And I love that mindset because I don't think people pay off their mortgage very often. This is a rare thing for people to do. But the amount of money that people are paying down in student loans and and other bills, if you just treat it like that, just go crazy on it like the fear and family did and it will be gone. Number two, respect your spouse's opinion, even if it's different than yours. I loved how she dove into how her husband and and Jesse, they have different ways and views about money. They grew up differently. And she has, through trial and error, found a good way to partner with her spouse and also make sure that his opinion is included. She might not have a lot of interest in buying a Red Bull every day, but you know what? 
That's something that he loves. And she's figuring out a way for that to work within their budget, not make him feel, you know, like he's doesn't have the ability to buy the things that really make him happy. And they're finding, they're finding a good balance. I really like how she talked through that and it's a learning process for her. It, it hit me personally because it's a lot of the things that Nicole and I have gone through as well in our marriage. And it's a lot of trial and error, right? I mean, especially in the first 10 years of your marriage, you're figuring out what the most important things are for you personally, for your marriage, and then obviously your future together. Number three, don't give up on your dreams. I love this. They started paying down their mortgage or thinking about paying down their mortgage for quite a bit of time. And then they had a few kids and life, you know, got a little messy, but they didn't give up. They kept going. They said, man, wouldn't it be great to be completely mortgage free, have no debt in our lives whatsoever. And they didn't give up. I mean, and they don't have a gigantic income that they're working with here. So, you know, this was difficult. She used the word bootstrapping a bunch. So, you know that they worked very hard and they didn't give up. I was extremely impressed by the story and um, they didn't give up on their dreams. And I hope you don't as well if you're listening to this and want to pay off your mortgage. So, Jesse, I just want to say thank you again for sharing the story with us and inspiring us. And I am so glad that I got to speak with you. As a quick reminder, everybody, this show is for entertainment purposes only, and I just want you to be sure to seek out a professional for your specific financial situation. Before we go for the day, I would like to ask you to do any one of these three things to support this show. Number one, connect with me on Facebook at Andy Hill MKM. I am posting all of our shows all of the articles and having some great Facebook lives on there. So check me out there, facebook.com slash Andy Hill MKM. Just like the page and we will stay connected. The second thing is subscribing to the show on your favorite podcast player so we can hang out every week. And then the last thing, share this episode with a friend who also wants to crush their mortgage or maybe somebody who's looking to buy a home and you want to help them avoid some crazy, crazy decisions like I did back in 2004. <laughs> you can find this show and all the links and resources mentioned at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 135. And if you are new to the show, I would highly recommend you checking out session 116, the 10 steps to young family wealth and happiness. You can find that at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 116. It is a great place to start. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Steve Jobs. If you haven't found it yet, keep looking. Don't settle. As with all matters of the heart, you'll know it when you find it. Good luck with your search and find a place you can call home. Carpe diem! Carpe diem! 